I was coming close to the end of my time with the Marine Corps, the United States government developed a new strategy to use in combat. Um, this new strategy that they were using, began to, they began implementing it into the military, primarily into the Marine Corps, um, not, not because we're the best, but because, you know, it just, it just worked better that way. But, um, but they started implementing this thing, and it was called a FARP. FARP with a P, not a T. <laughs> FARP. And what it stands for was Forward Arming Refueling Point. A Forward Arming Refueling Point. So I want you guys to picture this. This, this is why they implemented this new strategy into the, into the military. Let's say this is a battlefield right here. This is where the fighting is going on. You, you know, like in the movies, you hear like the, the bullets flying, the bombs exploding, everyone screaming. This is what's happening right here. Then what happens is when they need help, the radio guy calls them for what? What else? Air support. Air support. See, that's where we come in. We're the air wing. I was air wing. You know, we, we save lives. We save lives. But um, so they're like, we're too, it's too much of them. We need help. We need air support, blah, blah, blah. Now, they're calling in to the air base, which may be about 200 miles away. So what do you usually hear back? Okay, ETA is about 40 minutes. So now these guys have to stay alive. For 40 minutes, and some of you guys are like, 40 minutes? No, 40 minutes in a firefight is an eternity. And so now they are 40 minutes depending and waiting on these, um, if it's helos or jets, whatever it is, to come and save them and help them fight again. So what a forward arming refueling point was, was a strategy where they took a small group of helos, maybe like three or four kilos, and they stationed them about 20 miles outside, like, you know, like 40, 20 miles outside the war zone, the battle zone. But along with those helicopters come the support team, which means you need the aviation ordnance technicians, which I said that's what I was. Like, we're the ones that put all the stuff that explodes on those helicopters, right? The gun systems, the bullets, all that. Then... Um, <laughs> Uh, then, look at that, you guys are already attacking me. That's a, that's a bomb. Um, you, need a you need the tanker, right, with fuel. So what happens is with this strategy, you take a small unit that, com that is composed of a little bit of everything. One mechanic, because what if something happens to the helicopter? You get a driver for the fuel tank. You got two um, infantry Humvee, um, Humvee, Humvees that are like, if we get attacked out there, they're supposed to defend us. And two, ordnance guys, whatever. It, it looks like a team of about 15 people. So now you have 15 people, and you take them away from the safety of the base. And you put them in the middle of nowhere by themselves, hoping that they're not discovered. But the purpose is to then send the helicopters back and forth or the jets back and forth in such a, usually helicopters because you don't need much space, um, back and forth to bring the support. They would go in, they would blow stuff up, and then send the troops in. At the same time, they would all go back, they would also go back for reinforcement. 
it was a strategy that strengthened their offense. It strengthened their offense with this strategy because they were able to get places faster. They were able to do more damage. They were able to save more men. Today, we're going to continue our series, The Battle. I know some of y'all thought it was over last week with the armor of God. I thought that was it. But just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Sorry, Lord. I repent. <laughs> Today we're going to look at some offensive weapons. Some offensive weapons. How come I said weapons? Half of y'all were like, weapons? Weapons? We talked about a weapon um, in the armor of God, but, but there's additional weapons I want to mention. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So according to this verse, we are equipped. We're equipped to pull down strongholds. We've, we've seen previously in the last couple of weeks what the enemy likes to do is he wants to establish a stronghold in your mind. He does first. He tempts you, and we, if we fall to temptation, he establishes strongholds in our minds, and he wants to, to just overwhelm us, keep us captive to those strongholds. But the weapons of our warfare... It says the weapons of our warfare are not powerless against these strongholds. So when these strongholds appear, we have to be reminded that we, we have access to some things that could tear down the strongholds that for some of us seem so difficult, right? These weapons are powerful. First, against the strongholds in our own minds, Everybody point to your own mind. We all have strongholds in here. So the weapons that we have can help us tear down the strongholds in our mind. Then look to your neighbor and point at their head. And be like, hmm, I knew it. There's some strongholds in there. The strongholds. And second, these weapons help us fight against the strongholds in the minds of others. In the minds of others. But we have to understand something. You have to be willing to deal with the strongholds in your own life before you can attempt to help others with the strongholds in theirs. We see this in the scripture in Mark chapter 7, verse 3 to 5. And it says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat Oh, that's not right. That is not right. Is that Mark? Is that Mark 7, 3 to 5? That's not good. I'm going to give you guys a good, I'm going to give you guys the right verse right now because I don't want you guys to be like, we got wrong scriptures at church. Usually if it's not Mark, it's Matthew. You know, you know how they, you know how they roll. You know how they roll. Yes, it was Matthew. Sorry, Becky, it was my fault, my fault. Matthew chapter 7, 
verse 3 and 5, says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the plank from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You guys understand what this means, right? Planks are like, what's a plank? Listen, it's pretty much (laughs) before you can tell someone about their mess, you got to fix yours. You can't expect to give someone advice on what they're going through if you haven't dealt with what you're going through. And so what happens is, yes, we can help our brother with the things that they're, yes, we, we are supposed to be there for one another. But we cannot help one another if we don't work on ourselves first. And, and again, is, and the reason why it says hypocrite is because sometimes it's when people are more like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that. And, you, and then they're doing their own things, right? And, 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 you know, and that has caused, first of all, that has caused so many people to even walk away from God, don't want anything to do with church, this and that. And so the thing is this, um, it's clear that the scripture points to you first, right? Points you. Remember how you used to be like, oh, we're pointing at somebody, there's all these fingers pointing back at you, remember? This principle isn't, this principle is, is just as true in spiritual warfare. It's just as true. Notice in 2 Corinthians 10.4, right, what we just read, it said weapons, plural, Right? Now, again, I said in our last message, we talked about the sword being uh, the, the offensive weapon mentioned in the armor of God. And in the armor of God, in that collection, yes, that is the offensive weapon. But throughout the scriptures, we see that there are additional weapons that we can use to fight against the enemy. Today, we're going to look at two more offensive weapons, both which are very effective and powerful when you actually use them. That's the key word, when you actually use them. Because, you know, sometimes <laughs> you, have a, a, uh, you have something like on the wall. A lot of collectors do that, right, Eric? He's got a lot of things on the wall. They look so pretty, but you just never use them. Like, so it's like you get to just look at them, but you're not using them, Right? It's like having a weapon that can guarantee you victory, but you like looking at it so much, you just never touch it. All the while, you're losing in the battle. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Although there's several points we can talk about in this, in this passage, um, I want to focus on one, one point in this, in this verse, and it's the word of your testimony. The word of your testimony. Did you know that your testimony is 
a weapon. Your testimony is a weapon. You guys ever liked uh, court shows? You know, uh, Law and Order? Um, uh, back in the day, what was it, Matlock? Who remembers Matlock? All right, all right. You see, I don't forget us. I don't forget everybody. You know? Matlock, it was a lawyer that wore the same suit. Like, he had like 50 suits, but they were the same suit. Um, we, we watch shows like this, right? Law and Order, Matlock, all these court shows. And, and if you were called to the stand, if they called you to the stand at that point, you were to give your testimony. And if you were to give your testimony, you would hear questions like, who was there? What did you see? You know, um, what did you hear? What time was it? You know, these are the kind of questions that they would ask someone that was testifying in the, in the trial. It's your personal evidence based on your experience. It's evidence based on your experience. A person who gives a testimony of something is an eyewitness to something. So far, so good? The reason they give a testimony is because they have personally experienced it. <laughs> oh, and by the way, judge, by the way, Omar told me that before he got there, that they had already objection. Hearsay. There you go. There you go. Objection. That's hearsay. Judge doesn't, the judge and the jury don't want to hear what you heard from somebody else. Secondhand information. We saw how that got even troubled in the garden, right? Secondhand, secondhand information, they don't want, they, you did not experience that. You did not witness that. You're hearing about someone that said something, but you didn't see it. That does not apply in testimony. That cannot be used as evidence. It doesn't matter what someone else says. It's what you have seen personally and what you've experienced personally. The actual testimony, the definition of testimony says the establishment of events or actual relations or facts of experience on the basis of direct personal knowledge. So for a Christian, our testimony isn't just evidence of what God has done in our life. Our testimony is also a weapon. So Jews, I'm, I'm sorry, not, uh, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, right? Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons, let's use this to an example. They come to your door. Before COVID, they used to come to your door. Now they'll mail you letters, right? <laughs> but, but, they, but they come to your door. Let's, let's pretend COVID never happened and use this for the, they're knocking on your door, right? And half of us or three-fourths of us tell the kids to be quiet, Quiet, hi, turn the lights off, shut, shut the shades, right? <laughs> and we're like, don't move, they'll see the shadows. <laughs> and everybody's holding their breath, waiting for them to leave. But the thing is, <laughs> but the thing is, 
you know, um, the thing to keep in mind here is, is that uh, when people belong to a cult, and I'm sorry that's a strong word, but I have to, I, it, it, they're, they're, they're still considered cults, right? If, if, if you're part of a cult, one of the, one of the major One of the things that most people that belong in cults, they, they, they are definitely, uh, there are some major strongholds at play in their mind. Major strongholds at play. We, I mean, there's all, the, when we see shows and movies about those uh, extreme cult, extremist cults, right? You could ask yourself, like, why would they think this would work? Like, why would they follow someone that would tell them this? Why would they, like, you, you guys have watched the movies and, and the documentaries and be like, how could people follow people like this? And what happens is, it's a little bit and a little bit, that sounds okay, that sounds okay. And before the, you know it, the enemy establishes strongholds in their minds, and these people are captive. Powerful strongholds in their mind. You can't tell them anything. They know what they know, and they're right. You have a divine weapon for such an occasion when they show up at your door. So, for those that are a little on the braver side, right, or have the time, have the time, right, you open the door, and you welcome them in. Hey, how you doing? And then they come in, they smile, they greet you, they give you a little pamphlet with, with everybody's happy. Little lions, little lambs. And it looks so, the, the paperwork looks so pretty. And they ask you, don't you think the world is a mess? Wouldn't you like to see a world of peace? The best response is, yes. I would. So let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. <laughs> In other words, share your testimony. Share your testimony. Yeah, I would like to see a world of peace. This world is a mess. So let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Now, at this point, this, they won't back down yet. They're trained for this. At this point. <laughs> Every time she laughs, she makes me laugh. Yo, uh, they're trained for this. They're trained for this. So now they've picked up on the fact, they pick up on the fact like, oh, this, this is some kind of like church person. This is, some, this is some kind of Christian here. They mentioned Jesus. So now that they've picked up on it, they say, oh, so you go to church, right? Oh, you go to church, huh? Do you think it's right for a Christian to go to war? Now, just know this, your testimony is already doing the work because it began to rattle the cages. If you notice, when you speak to people like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses because they're usually more, like, they go out more, right? When you're speaking to them and you begin to mention, oh, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, yeah, we know about, no, 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 let me tell you who he is in my life. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. Now they get a little defensive and they say, and they'll start with other questions, and they start to almost, almost retreat into the stronghold. So now they have a script, 
And then they retreat back into the stronghold that's in their mind that says, no, what I know is what I know. What I believe is what I believe. And in that stronghold, in that stronghold, uh, there's a response. There's a response. Listen, I want to read uh, 2 Corinthians 10 again with uh, verse 4 and then add 5 to it. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, casting down arguments in every high thing, casting down arguments, casting down arguments, casting down this is one thing that they do very well. They know how to argue their points. They study, they train. Listen, I always said that there's so much that the body of Christ could learn from so many other people. Listen, if we would just study the way Jehovah Witnesses study, and we would just be bold enough to knock on every door the way that Jehovah Witnesses do, and, and, and be completely uh, unashamed of what we believe, if we was as devoted as the Catholics are, that as faithful, and, and, and never miss a mass and this and that and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you, what, what I'm saying is there's, there's still things to learn, right? But we know who our true Savior is. So, so what they do very well is they argue. They argue. <laughs> and at that moment, you know, you know when you're stirring up a stronghold because they'll start They'll start arguing with you. They'll start questions to kind of suck you in. Well, guess what? Don't get sucked in. That's part of the plan. Don't get upset. Don't get angry. Because if if they suck you in, that's what the, the stronghold was designed to do, to disturb your peace. To get you angry. Listen, if you walk away from a conversation with Jehovah's Witness and you angry, like, then they just, they, they, hey, it's, you know, they don't think, I mean, they don't do that for that reason. They, know, they really genuinely feel like they're trying to share their faith. But the enemy used that opportunity to just disturb you, to steal joy, right? So you know what you do when they start to argue? You hit them back with more of your testimony. War, ah, you know, I haven't, really, I haven't really thought about that too much. But you know what? My home was once a war zone. And let me tell you what happened to my home when I gave my life to Jesus. They'll leave. They'll leave. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, listen, hold your ground with your testimony. What has God done for you? What has he done for you? How has he changed your life? What have you experienced? No one can take that from you. No matter, no matter what they say, they cannot say, you didn't feel that. Carlos, you didn't feel that. Uh, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Hold on to it. There's power in the word of your testimony. Well, Revelation says that only 144,000 people will go to heaven. Listen, they're looking for a fight now. They're arguing with you. They're trained to do Again, don't get caught up. Well, that's interesting. I haven't studied that yet personally. But um, when I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, 
He gave me such a sense of peace with God that, that, and an inner knowledge that he's accepted me to the point that I know that when I die, I'll meet up with him. I'll be with him. Like, that's what I know. When I accepted Christ, I mean, I just, I just know that when I die, I'll be in heaven with him. So about your 144,000, I don't know about that, but I know what I know. I know what God has done in my life. I know what I have experienced. I know what I feel. Do you know what you're doing by using your testimony? It's a direct militant assault. That's what it is. It's a, it's a direct assault on the strongholds of the enemies that are built up in their minds. When you, when we, when you, dis, when you talk like that, with people that, that have these, men, these, these strongholds in their minds, two things will happen. One, that person will get saved right in front of you because the, your, the word of your testimony will destroy the strongholds in their mind. Or two, they retreat into it and, and they, they, leave, they walk away. But those strongholds in their mind cannot be victorious over you if you stand fast and firm on the word of your testimony. It's a powerful weapon. It's a powerful weapon. Oh, but, I mean, what kind of, listen, you know what a testimony is? What has God done for you? It could be healing. It could be a testimony of healing. It could be a testimony uh, of your personal family about um, how things were bad and now they're good, how your marriage is bad and now it's good, how your kids were not doing good in school and they're doing good in school. And, and I mean, whatever God has done in your life, is a testimony. Deliverance from bondage. I was once an addict. I'm not an addict. I was once this and now I'm not. God's intervention. God intervened supernaturally in my life. No one could take credit for it. No one can take credit for it. It doesn't matter if the person that you're speaking to believes in God or not when you're sharing your testimony because it doesn't change the fact that it actually happened. You know that. They believe in God or not, you're still sharing something that happened. This is real, this is real life. Real life. And one thing we don't realize is this. When you share your testimony, when you stand firm, unashamed, boldly, and you share the testimony of what God has done or is doing in your life. It's, I want you guys to picture something just for, just for illustrative purposes, right? As the words are coming out of your mouth, sharing his testimonies, the Holy Spirit comes. He takes those words and he empowers those words. He strengthens those words. So that's like taking a little 22 that you shoot out of a gun and then supernaturally it turns into a 50 caliber round before it hits the enemy. 50 calibers are like this big, by the way. A 22, you can't, it's worthless, it's worthless. <laughs> waste the money, waste the money. <laughs> Do you understand that, though? The Holy Spirit takes your testimony and empowers it 
right? He gives it power as it hits the strongholds of the enemy. We cannot be ashamed. I know some people struggle with this. They sh- we struggle about being proud about what we believe in because the world has done such a great job in making you feel ashamed about something that could save them all. Like, why should we be ashamed about a God that sent his son to die for you? Think about it. When, when you're ashamed to, to share the gospel, when you're ashamed to speak your faith, when you're ashamed, it's like, I, that, that, I, I don't know. If I, was, if I was God, which we're all lucky I'm not, I'd be like, gone with you, gone with you, gone with you. Like, I'll, I'll be, because imagine, like, that, like, God's only son dying on the cross, beaten, tortured, like, 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 just the pain that he felt watching this because, because of my love for all of you. For then you to turn around and be like, oh, no, I don't know, I don't, know. I don't do that, I don't do that, church, I don't, I don't, I don't. That's insulting. That's, that's. Second Timothy, one, the first part of verse 8 says, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Paul goes on to be like, and don't be ashamed about me either. <laughs> but <laughs> in Luke, in Luke chapter 21, verse 12, verse 12 to 13. It says, but before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution, and you will be dragged into synagogues and prisons, and you will stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. Church, we are all going to go through some rough times. Like, just, just know. We're going to go through some rough times. We're going to go, we're going to have some high moments. We're going to have some low moments. But understand this, that in those rough times, in those hard times, rough moments, valley lows, these are, op- these are testimony opportunities. Testimony opportunities. He says that you're going to be dragged into the prison, dragged into, he goes, but those will be opportunities to tell them who I am. We share our testimony when things are great, and we share our testimony when even, around, even when things around us don't seem great. Because even if today is a horrible day, what God did yesterday, he still did. So if today is horrible, I'm still going to testify that he is Lord in my life. I'm still going to testify that he saved me. I'm still going to testify that it's through him that I have eternal life. I don't care if my day is going bad or not. The word of your testimony is a weapon. Secondly, we got to bind the enemy. we got to bind him up. 
Matthew, 29, Matthew 12, verse 29 says, How else can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his property unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can thoroughly plunder the house. Stealing and plunder, plunder, plunder. Um, when Jesus talks about plundering the house of the enemy, it's only natural to ask, right? It's only natural, natural to ask and say like, well, what could there possibly be? What could there possibly be in the house of the enemy? Like, what could I, what could I actually want that's in the house of the enemy? Like, why would I even need to go into the house of the enemy and look for something? What, what would I want there? The enemy has souls there. And we want to take them back from him. We want to take them back. But before we can do that, we need to bind him and tie him up. Imagine we plan to rob the bodega across the street. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. He's a nice guy. His name is Joel, the owner of the, he's an amazing guy. But let's say we plan, right? We, when we watch, we see when they're going to close, this and that, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, they close down. We know there's only one guy in there, but he's a pretty big guy. But there's one guy in there, all right. So we find a way to get in, right? We find a way to get in. He's a big guy, so we don't want to fight. We don't want, we don't want to, like, risk it or t- take a chance. So when he's not looking... He's as big as Big E, yo. He's like, he's at your height, right? So I don't, wanna, I, don't wanna, I don't want no problems. So all of a sudden, like, I wait till he turns around, and I sneak up, and I hit him real hard on the back of the head with something. And I knock him out. At this point, what do you do? You start looking to see where he has everything put together. Where's the money? Where's the stuff that you're looking for? Doesn't it stress you out so much? When you're watching a movie, and the good guy, right, he goes in there, he knocks the bad guy out, and the guy falls to the floor, and he leaves him there and goes to do something else. And you're like, wait, go back. Don't leave him there. Because yeah, he's stressing you out. You're like, you, you already know. You already know. Oh, he's getting up. He's getting up. He's getting up. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he goes back, and he's not there. And he's not there. Now you're like, oh, oh, my God, oh, my God. And then and so, so the guy, you know, all of a sudden, he turns around, and bam, he gets hit by something. And there's this big fight, a fight that could have been avoided if he would have just tied him up. <laughs> just tie him up. They never tie him up. They never do that. Goodness. But that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus, he, he don't like movies like that either. He, he, you know, he's like, tie him up. Time up. He's saying, he's saying if, if, if we're going to plunder the enemy, if we're going to go kick the door down, try to steal what the enemy, steal back, take back what the enemy stole, right? That at that moment, we have to bind the enemy. We have to tie him up. So that way, you're free to then take back what we need to. But how do we do that? How do we... Bind him up. How do we tie up the enemy? Psalm, well, I'm glad you guys asked. Psalms 149, verse 6 to 9 says, Let the high praises 
of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. This is like this is like the godly ramble right here. To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute them on the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. So this is the second offensive weapon I want to talk about today. And this weapon is called praise. What? Yes. Praise. The passage is saying, by the way, that this honor have all his saints. Fighting against kings is something that all of God's people should be doing. We should all be engaged in this. Now, clearly, for some people, I want to clarify, we're not talking about earthly kings. We're not talking about any kings in, in, in real life. In this psalm, the king, kings is equivalent to principalities, powers, and rulers that are spoken of in Ephesians 6.12, which we read the last three weeks. Remember Ephesians 12? We do not battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's, that's what it's referring to when he says kings. I want to read Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. It says, Daniel chapter 10, 12 and 13, it says, Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. What this passage is speaking about is that Daniel prayed to God. He prayed. And God answered his prayer. And as the, 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 the angel with the answer was making its way back to Daniel, he was withheld for three weeks by this prince of Persia. Again, again, here we see this battle taking place in the heavenly places. The prince of Persia is what we, we know is, is referring to a demonic angel. So, so, as God, so God here, he heard the prayer. He answered the prayer. The prayer, the answered prayer is on the way. And demonic forces hindered the prayers for three weeks before it got to Daniel. What this shows is that this spiritual war is a real war. There is a real battle going on in the heavenly realms here. So the Old Testament refers to enemy angels as kings, princes, nobles. In the New Testament, we see it all referred to as principalities, uh, powers, and rulers. That's just something good to know, right? Okay, so how do we deal with them? How do we bind them? It says praise accompanied by a two-edged sword. Well, what's the two-edged sword again? Hmm. Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. 
It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Do you know that the combination of God's word and your praise is powerful? Powerful. You need to know the word. The need to know the word continues to pop up in in our entire battle series. Knowing the word of God, knowing the word of God, knowing the word of God. it's, It's been in every week it's almost been mentioned because that is the first step. Like that's one of your first steps, getting into the word of God. You cannot expect to have any victory in battle if you don't get into the word, period. Period. You can't expect that. But we should also be aware that we should become appraising people as well. What? Listen, listen. You can't just read your word and, be, and, then, and then not praise them. You can't, you can't. I mean, how are you reading your word? Because if you are reading your word, then there's nothing in this world that should stop you from praising them. When you realize who he is, which you realize who he is when you are in his word. When we praise God, something happens in the spiritual realm. People, I'm trying to tell you. Okay, nobody get offended. That's the disclaimer. All right, yeah, nobody get triggered. Are you Justin, man? There are two types of people when it comes to praise and worship. There's two types of people. The first group of people are worshiping God with all their hearts. You see them with their eyes closed, hands up, singing, actually singing the songs. You, you actually hear a, a voice coming out of their mouth. You see tears perhaps going down their face. You see smiles when like, why are they smiling? They're just smiling as they're worshiping and they're praising. Sometimes in the middle of praise, you see them just throw themselves to the ground or come up to the altar or whatever the case may be. But these people are worshiping God with all their hearts. There's nothing that matters at that moment for that group of people. Doesn't matter who's with them. Doesn't matter what show is on later. It doesn't matter if the Eagles are winning or losing. It doesn't matter anything. At that moment, they are worshiping God with all their hearts. And they're not ashamed of it. And on the other side, the second group of people. In the midst of worship, in the midst of the music, in the midst of the voices, they stand there like totem poles, like the light posts, like a, just stand there, stiff, in the midst of worship. Chewing gum, hands in the pocket, biting fingernails, on their phones, 
thinking about what you're going to cook later, thinking about if you, you know, uh, if you have to wash the clothes. I mean, just going through all the laundry. I mean, going through all the errands, lists in your mind. And, and, and at that moment, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. But if you're in that second group, you truly are not, you truly are missing out on something powerful. If you're in the first group that I mentioned, number one, I want to commend you. I want to commend you. That's great. That's awesome. And you will personally reap the benefits. You will personally reap the benefits because whether you are aware of it or not, you are engaging the enemy in battle. When you are worshiping with all your heart, you are fighting the enemy and you don't even realize it. But your praise and your worship is tearing down strongholds that you didn't probably even know existed. When you praise, you are doing battle against the enemy. If you're honest with yourself and you say, you know what, Pastor, I'm, I'm part of that second group. The first thing is, I'm glad you acknowledged that. The first step to getting help is, is acknowledging that you, you know, my name is Vince and I'm an alcoholic. Like, that's the first, first step. But, but then we have to move forward, right? And you got to ask yourself, why, is, why am I not using this powerful weapon that God gave me? I understand it's hard to do some things sometimes. But first of all, you've come to a house of worship. You've come into a sanctuary where we praise and we worship our God. There are people around you that are worshiping and praising God. So if there's any place that it should be easier to worship and praise him, it should be amongst your brothers and sisters that are already doing that as well. Because I know if you ain't praising him here, you definitely not praising him at work. You definitely not blasting Christian music in front of your steps if you can't even worship him here. So guess what? Let this be your training ground. Let this be the place where you begin to develop a lifestyle of worship. So that way it doesn't just end here, but it continues every day wherever you go. Uh, well, Pastor, I just don't feel like it. Let me tell you something that you don't feel like it. Can I tell you that I don't praise God because I feel like it? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't praise God because I feel like it. Can you imagine if we go by feelings? First of all, if we, go by, if we go by how we feel, then some Sundays y'all be here like waiting like, oh, is pastor showing up today? Who's preaching? Who's singing? Who's playing? They'd be like, yo, the door's not even unlocked yet. If we go by how we feel, I don't praise him because I feel like it. I praise him because he told me to. And what happens is, you see, I made a decision 
When I said, I want to accept Jesus into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. So yeah, he saved me from hell. He saved me from eternal death, but he's also my Lord. And if my Lord tells me to do something, then I'm supposed to do it. And if he tells me to praise him, then I'm going to be like, don't, I love you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to get that A+. Plus. <laughs> I don't praise him because he told me to. I praise him. I mean, I don't praise him because I feel, I feel like it. I praise him because he told me to. I praise him because he's worthy of it. I praise him because it's good for me. Like when I praise him, thing good, good things happen to me when I praise him. Strongholds are broken down. Chains are broken. There's healing taking place. There is a supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit when I forget everything and I just focus on worshiping and praising my God. I tell, I tell the story. I, I said that there was one time I was in my room. I was doing laundry. Before I was married, I was by myself. I was in my room doing laundry, and I was worshiping, and I was praising. I, I still even remember, I still remember the, the, the song. It was a Casting Crowns. It was like a praise them in the, oh, East to West, yes. It was Casting Crowns, East to West. And I was, I was there, and I was folding, and I was singing my heart out. I was, I was trying to get a contract. Trying to get signed. But I was like singing and, I, and nothing mattered. I had the whole house to myself. And something happened to me in the room while I was folding laundry. The power of God fell from heaven. It, 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 it fell on me. I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I was like folding and walking back, and I was like, I, 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 it, it pushed me to my knees. It pushed me to my knees. I couldn't stand up. And I began weeping and weeping, and the Holy Spirit just moved, and then, and then, and then just, you know, just uh, uh, speaking in tongues, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was just a powerful experience with God, and it wasn't in church. It wasn't in church. It was in my room, and we miss out on things like that when we just don't give him all. Like, he wants to do that with everyone. He wants us all baptized in the Holy Spirit. He wants that for you. But, you know, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we're not giving him everything. Empty yourselves out before him so that he can fill you with his Holy Spirit. You ever come to church, right? Like today, worship team is playing. They're singing. Group A is worshiping. You're group B. You're not worshiping. And you're standing there. But you know what? You feel good. It feels good to be here. I may not be worshiping. I might not be singing. I might not be praising him, but I feel like this peace in the midst of this worship. Group B, y'all freeloading. 
you guys are freeloading off of our blessing. Listen, this is what happens. The, the power of God is so strong that group A, they're doing all the work, and they're receiving all the blessings. They're like, yo, God is doing some powerful things, and then the crumbs are falling off, right? And you're like, ooh, this feels good. <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on. You want the leftovers? You want a freeload? Or you want to have the main course? So you got to open your mouth and you got you to gotta be free and you got to be like, Lord, I want it. I want you. Fill me. I just don't want the leftovers of what, what they're going to do. Some of y'all sitting next to some true worshipers, y'all be like, yo, it feels good. I hear all the time. I'm going to sit in this seat all the time. Stop freedoming off for someone's praise and worship. Man. And the thing is, you can have, you could do it. Just open your mouth. Forget everything. And, and, and remind yourself that he's all that matters. He's all that matters. <sighs> you just don't know what day I had today, Pastor. You don't know the week that I just had. Well, this is where you need faith. This is where faith comes in. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Because the truth is, there will be many times where you're not going to feel like praising. And you got to have faith. You got to have faith that God is going to do whatever he needs to do in your life. And so, so, so even though he hasn't done it yet, you're going to praise him because you have faith that he's going to do it. You see what I'm saying? So on a good day, you praise them. On a bad day, you have faith and you praise them. So there should never be a time that we don't praise them. And we got to remember, it's not about how you feel. Listen, when we praise, things are happening in the spiritual realm. And every time you don't feel like praising, you are not doing your part. You're not fighting back. And you're letting the enemy gain ground on the strongholds that he's trying to put in your life, in your mind. In closing, in closing, the truth is that praise isn't just something that we do at church. I mentioned it should be a lifestyle. I want to give you guys two examples of a lifestyle of praise. To close. Two examples as we close. The first is found in the Old Testament. You know how people are like, oh, I'm going to give you Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to tell you what's happening so you can picture it in your mind. King Jehoshaphat is the ruler, right, at the moment, at the ruler of, of God's people. All of a sudden, we have armies, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, Menuhites, and they declared war on King Jehoshaphat. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. 
all of a sudden he finds himself surrounded by these great armies. Surrounded by these. There is no way God's people can win. Like there's no logical way. There's no physical way. Here are God's people surrounded by not one army, not two army, but several armies that have risen up against God's people. There are many of us right now that we feel like the enemy has risen up and we feel surrounded. We feel surrounded by all the things that are happening in our lives that don't feel good, that are just designed to destroy us, and we're like, it's just too much. It's too much. I, I, I go over here, and I'm going through this. I'm going over here, and now it's this. I turn over here, and, I'm, and this is going. I turn over here, and so the Israelites were in the same situation. They couldn't go either direction without running into the enemy. Some of us are surrounded. We're surrounded by all the things the enemy is trying to do to tear us apart, to rob you of your joy. To steal the seeds that God is trying to plant. I mean, everything, everything that you try, it's not, it seems to not be working. Every angle that you go, it's not working. So King Jehoshaphat, he tells, he, he gathers the singers. This is why, singers, I know I mess with you guys all the time. And, and it's not a lighthouse thing. I've been doing it since forever. In every church I've been a part of, I, I always tell the worship team, like, yo, let me hear you. Let me hear you. King Jehoshaphat, he gathered worshipers, singers, the word says. And he put them in front of God's army. In front. And then he says, okay, now when we march forward into battle, you guys are going to sing. You're going to worship. You're going to praise him. You're going to praise God. And so they did. And as they started moving and marching, the singers began to praise and worship the living God. And you know what happened? All the armies that were prepared to attack God's people suddenly turned on themselves. And they annihilated themselves. And God's people were victorious. The power of praise. Do you understand that? That's a good way to put it. Confuse the enemy with your praise. Why is Irvin praising? Didn't I just give him a flat tire on the way here? Praise him. Why is Eddie praising God? Didn't I just, you know, uh, didn't I just make him sick for two weeks? Why is he praising God? Why are you praising God? I'm confused. The enemy's confused. In the New Testament, we see in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were attacked. They were arrested. They were beaten. They were thrown in prison. The Bible says that they were thrown into the inner dungeon. So, they, I mean, they had levels to this prison. They were thrown deep down into the prison. So they could not escape. And then and they even put shackles on them and chains and 
They were, they were bound. And the word tells me that around the midnight hour, they began to praise. Some of us feel stuck. We feel stuck in our situations. We feel stuck and imprisoned. And although it doesn't seem like we want to praise, I mean, would they want to praise? I mean, they were beat. First of all, they were beaten and thrown in there. But what they did was they began to praise. And suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. The doors swung open to the prison. All the doors. And their chains and shackles were broken off. Through their praise, they were set free. Church, stand to your feet, please. We have some weapons. Prayer team. Let me see. Vanessa, Marcus. We have some weapons that are powerful at your disposal. The word of your testimony and praise. But you got to do it. You got to use it. We're in a battle, church. We are in a battle. A battle when the enemy wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy relationships. He wants to, he wants to steal your soul. But we need to fight. We need to fight. We fight with the words of our testimony. Don't stay shut. Don't stay quiet. We fight when we praise him. Church, open those mouths. Raise those hands. Belt out those words. Listen, when we are worshiping and praising him, you are engaging the enemy in battle. You should, I mean, you should, everybody should leave here on Sundays with their voices lost. Can you imagine? We should be leaving here. We, every Monday should be like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, you were in church again yesterday, weren't you? Yeah, I was, I was. Every, we sh it, sh it shouldn't be, a, we shouldn't even think about it. I mean, don't you know who God is? Worshiping him is the very least you should do. The very least.